Everywhere you turn, people are running to and fro, trying to find where significance might be, trying to find satisfaction. They've lost their appetite for the objective truth of God's Word, and so it's being replaced with positive mental attitude lessons and motivational lessons and all kinds of cute little things to try to get people to come and sit in the seats in the church. But it's not the absence of the Word of God that's troubling. Do you know that there are Bibles aplenty in most of the world? And a virtual army of Bible translators are working night and day to get the Scripture into every tongue. And we've made great strides across the universe. More than 1,500 languages now have access to the New Testament, and Bible translation work is currently being done on the rest. Missionary and translation societies are focusing now on the 1.5 billion people who do not have the entire Bible in their language, working feverishly to meet their need. So what was Amos talking about when he said there's going to be a famine of the hearing of the Word of God? The prophet's warnings concerned a loss of hunger for the truth. This is a self-inflicted famine. The reality is that our hearts are easily drawn away from God and His Word. We know that. Human beings have a terrible habit of losing their appetite for the truth. Are we living in the end times? There may have never been another time in history when end times prophecy has been more aligned with the culture and circumstances of the world than it is today. I believe there are 10 phenomena we are witnessing today that were recorded centuries ago in Bible prophecy. Seeing our circumstances in light of these prophecies should give us resolve, purpose, and hope. And help us answer the questions. What are we to do with the world around us? What hope do we have in times like these? And ultimately, where do we go from here? Is the indifference to God we're experiencing in the world today a sign we are living in the last days? The Bible teaches there will be a scarcity of truth in the end times. Could we be in the early stages of an apocalyptic spiritual famine? Join Dr. David Jeremiah for this special prophecy edition of Turning Point as he presents a sign of the end times. Spiritual famine, a spiritual prophecy. When actor Benedict Cumberbatch took on the role of Greville Wynne in the movie The Courier, he faced some scenes that required him to endure severe weight loss. The movie was inspired by real events, and Wynne was an English businessman recruited by MI6 and the CIA to spy against Russia during the Cold War. When Wynne was captured by the Soviets, he spent a few years in lockup, and his near-starvation diet reduced him to skin and bones. For about four scenes in this movie, Cumberbatch had to replicate the look of a man nearly starved to death. And the movie's crew took a break from filming while he went on a harsh diet to make him look emaciated for this portion of the movie. It was a brutal experience. You get very disoriented, he said. You feel dehydrated. You feel hungry all the time. You feel emotionally and physically vulnerable. It's horrible. He said, I felt mentally unstable. 
Have you ever wondered why our world seems so hungry all the time? Why we are perpetually thirsty? Why so many people are emotionally and physically vulnerable? Why they feel horrible? Why they seem mentally unstable? The answer is that our generation is on a diet. It's a generation that is famished. We have been starved for truth. We're hungry for hope and thirsty for the God-given message of the Scripture. And what we're experiencing right now, which we'll get into in a little bit, is something that the Bible teaches would happen. The Bible says there will be a famine of truth in the last days. Did you know that was in the Bible? The most vivid biblical prediction about this comes from the rugged prophet Amos. He wasn't a trained preacher or an educated theologian. He was a herdsman who spent most of his time trying to figure out where his sheep were. He also was a fruit picker. Amos the fruit picker. He churned with courage and he spoke with conviction because he knew his God. And his homespun message was so direct. Amos 4.12 says this, Prepare to meet your God, O Israel. When I read that recently, I was reminded of the many trips my family and I took across this country when I was growing up. And you would see that up on billboards. Prepare to meet your God. And it was not just a few times. It was all over the country. I recall seeing this painted on rocks and signposts along the highway when I was growing up. Now, of course, they've almost disappeared from our consciousness, and people take offense at that and probably would go to jail if they put it up there where people could see it. And they didn't like it in Amos' day either. We often think we're different than history. When Amos said this, he didn't win any awards, I promise you. In fact, in the New Living Translation of Amos 7, 12-13, here's what we read. Get out of here, you prophet, they said. Go on back to the land of Judah and earn your living by prophesying back there. Don't bother us with your prophecies here in Bethel. This is the king's sanctuary and the national place of worship. When Amos told them to prepare to meet their God, they didn't like it. They told him to get lost. They didn't know with whom they were dealing. This southern farmer wouldn't be intimidated. Instead... He met their threats with this piercing prediction. Amos 8, 11, and 12. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord God, that I will send a famine on the land, not a famine of bread, nor a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. They shall wander from sea to sea, and from north to east. They shall run to and fro, seeking the word of the Lord, and they shall not find it. Amos was describing a particularly deadly type of famine, a problem of the ears, not the stomach. Our generation may be the early stages of a hearing famine as another layer of biblical prophecy unfurls. Everywhere you turn, people are running to and fro, trying to find where significance might be, trying to find satisfaction. They've lost their appetite for the objective truth of God's Word, and so it's being replaced with positive mental attitude lessons and motivational lessons and all kinds of cute little things to try to get people to come and sit in the seats in the church. But it's not the absence of the Word of God that's troubling. Do you know that there are Bibles aplenty in most of the world, and a virtual army of Bible translators are working night and day to get the Scripture into every tongue, 
And we've made great strides across the universe. More than 1,500 languages now have access to the New Testament, and Bible translation work is currently being done on the rest. Missionary and translation societies are focusing now on the 1.5 billion people who do not have the entire Bible in their language, working feverishly to meet their need. So what was Amos talking about when he said there's going to be a famine of the hearing of the Word of God? The prophet's warnings concerned a loss of hunger for the truth. This is a self-inflicted famine. The reality is that our hearts are easily drawn away from God and His Word. We know that. Human beings have a terrible habit of losing their appetite for the truth. So, what does this mean? That's where we are. What does it mean? I know there are some who are listening who will wonder about the inclusion of a chapter like this in a prophecy book. After all, most of the other topics that I talk about in this series are sort of cataclysmic or apocalyptic in nature. The COVID-19 pandemic, the threat of socialism, economic danger poised to crush all resistance during the tribulation. But what we see prophesied in the book of Amos and other passages of Scripture is nothing less than spiritual starvation. It's a crisis affecting not only our bodies but our souls. To appreciate the serious nature of this coming spiritual famine, I want you to go with me and let's dig a little deeper into its implications. What does it mean for the last days? What does it mean for our lives right now? Here are four things our culture is currently under threat from spiritual malnutrition. First of all, our heritage is being lost. We're losing our heritage. The psalmist said, You have given me the heritage of those who fear your name. Hear me now carefully. How many children in Sunday school and church know anything about the 2,000 years of Christian history? Where are the missionary stories? What's happened to the heroes and martyrs and stalwarts of the past whose courage brought the gospel to us? How many children grow up learning the 23rd Psalm and the Lord's Prayer? And what has happened to our old hymns? Our spiritual heritage is little by little just slipping away. We all know that, and it frustrates us. Number two, our theology is being weakened. We must also guard our theology because it's easy for churches to become malnourished in times of spiritual famine. George Barna and his researchers issued a 2020 report warning American Christians are undergoing a post-Christian reformation. The irony of the reshaping of the spiritual landscape in America is that it represents a post-Christian reformation driven by people seeking to retain a Christian identity. The most startling realization is how many people from evangelical churches are adopting unbiblical beliefs. The report went on to say that evangelicals have traditionally emphasized the importance of seeing the Bible as the infallible, inerrant Word of God. But now, today, 52% of evangelicals do not believe in objective moral truth. These aren't the people on the outside of the church. These aren't the people that we think of, oh, they're the pagans, we're the evangelicals. No, that statistic is about people who go to churches like ours. Some of those people go to our church and to your church. 
the researchers concluded that what used to be basic, universally known truth about Christianity are now unknown mysteries to a large and growing share of Americans, especially young adults. For centuries, God's Word has been at the center of Christian preaching. Today, questioning scriptural authority is in vogue, even in certain faith communities. Popular speakers advocate processing God's Word through cultural filters rather than the other way around. So our heritage is being lost, and our theology is being weakened, and our Bibles are being overlooked. Mark Twain once defined a literary classic as a book which people praise but never read. Unfortunately, that describes the way many people in modern society approach the Bible. Are you for the Bible? Oh, yes. Do you ever read the Bible? Well, in all honesty, no. It doesn't help that cultures around the world are trying to minimize our Bible reading. China has just shut down Bible apps and Christian WeChat public accounts, and hard copies of the Bible are no longer available for sale online in China either. In America and the West, the Gideons are running into problems getting their Bibles into many hotel rooms. One of the most encouraging things, if you travel like I have, is you go into a hotel room and the stand next to your bed, you open the, the top drawer and there's a Gideon Bible in there. Not so. I've been in many hotels where that Bible is no longer present. A recent survey showed the percentage of hotels willing to offer Bibles in their rooms has dropped from 90% to 48%. Hotels are finding younger travelers who are less devout than their parents or grandparents, and they don't want to offend atheists or those of other religions. And one atheistic group, listen to this, created stickers for its members to attach to any Gideon Bible they did find in a hotel room. And the sticker said, quote, warning, literal belief in this book may endanger your health and your life. And they take those stickers with them on their trips and they put them on the Gideon Bibles in the hotels. I call that spiritual famine. I call that people who disregard the Bible, who someday may want a society that would be impacted by the Bible. If we take the Bible out of our culture, we may ultimately get what we want. A moral compass of Scripture will self-destruct from moral decay and decadence, and pretty soon we will just be immoral, amoral perhaps, without any morality at all. So what's happening in this famine is our heritage is being lost, our theology is being weakened, our Bibles are being overlooked, and our appetite is being ruined. That leads to my next thought. The reason we're facing a spiritual famine is because our appetite for God's truth is being ruined. A child that gorges on junk food and candy in the afternoon won't have much of an appetite for meat and potatoes at supper. In these last days, it seems as if Satan has unleashed an invisible spiritual virus that robs people of their appetite for God's Word. But it's worse than that because it's not just a loss of appetite. It's a total distaste for the Bible. People grab a handful of Scripture, take a bite, find it distasteful, and spew it out like a child spitting out carrots. As likely as not, they'll dub it hate speech and often... We allow that to push us away, and then we don't preach the truth. Often God will respond to our lack of spiritual appetite with silence. He doesn't force his words into our ears. He may withdraw for a time if we lose our appreciation for the privilege of his voice, 
But God's silence may be hardly noticeable at first. You may still remember times when God spoke to you, but you gradually realize you haven't heard from Him in a long time. If you realize you are in a drought, immediately seek God and ask Him what adjustments you need to make in your life so that you can once again enjoy fellowship with Him. It may be you've disobeyed His last instructions to you. Maybe He's waiting on your obedience before giving you fresh direction. If there's unconfessed sin in your life, or if you have a damaged relationship, get it right and do it now. By grace, we can stay healthy even during a large-scale spiritual famine. Paul told us to be nourished in the words of faith and of good doctrine. And the psalmist described Scripture as sweeter than honey. And the prophet Jeremiah said, Your words were found, and I ate them. And your word was to me the joy and rejoicing of my heart. Men and women, everything about the Bible is special. It's God's gift to the human race. It's bread for the soul and honey for the heart. It's nourishment for your nerves. (laughs) and wisdom for your mind. Every syllable represents God's thoughts conveyed through inspired human writers who recorded the infallible message for the world. In this way, the Lord has given us a book containing everything we really need for life and eternity. This book makes us wise unto salvation through faith in Christ. It's portable. You can carry it anywhere. It's simple. It's perfect for children. It's deep, it's engaging, and it even engages Earth's greatest scholars. This is an incredible book, this book we call the Bible. And this is your book, as well as it is mine. Jesus said, people do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. I am convinced that you cannot live the Christian life and avoid the Word of God. We can know the Word of God. But we have to discipline ourselves to let the Word of God be a part of our lives. You don't get the Word of God by putting your Bible under your pillow at night. Osmosis doesn't work that way. You have to engage in the Bible. So, we've talked about where we are and what it means. Let's just talk for a few moments at the end of this message about where do we go from here. Based on everything we've learned, where do we go from here? What's our call to action? Near the end of the Bible... The Apostle Peter wrote two letters to the churches of his day, penning the final one shortly before his gruesome death by upside-down crucifixion. As he wrote those last words, one thing was on his mind, and that was making sure that no one forgot the message of the gospel or the teachings of the scriptures. So I want to read to you some things that he wrote in his last letters. He said in Second Peter 1.12, I will not be negligent to remind you always of these things, though you know and are established in the present truth. And he's talking about the Bible. In verse 15, he says, I will be careful to ensure that you always have a reminder of these things after my decease. And he's talking about eight things that he communicated in the early part of the chapter when he says, add to your faith knowledge, add to your knowledge. And he goes through this list and he says, remember these things. He kept reminding everybody. In Second Peter 3, 1-3, he says, Now I write to you this second epistle, in both of which I stir up your pure minds by way of reminder, that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets, and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior, knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days. 
Remember now, Peter was about to check out. He was leaving this world. He was just about to die. But he wanted his message to remain, to never be forgotten, and to be passed down through the generations until Jesus returns. He longed for the gospel to expand, to explode throughout the earth. He wanted to repel spiritual famine. And that same zeal must grab hold of you, and it must grab hold of me. It must consume the church as we face the world of tomorrow. It must become not so much what we do as followers of Jesus, but who we are as followers of Jesus. Based on Peter's words, let me give you four B's to put into practice during times of spiritual famine. Number one, letter A, be burdened. Peter spoke as a deeply burdened man. He he wanted to make sure his hearers were devouring the word and sharing it with others. He was ready to make every effort as long as he lived. He never lost his burden for this. The Apostle Peter gave us an example of what it's like to be burdened for a society facing spiritual famine. He described Lot in one of his writings who lived in Sodom. Second Peter 2, 7 and 8. He said he was a righteous man who was distressed by the depraved conduct of the lawless. For that righteous man, living among them day after day, was tormented in his righteous soul by the lawless deeds that he saw and he heard. And in a similar way, the Apostle Paul walked around Athens, was provoked within him when he saw that the city was given over to idols. We can't do much to alleviate spiritual famine around us until we have a similar concern within us. God could change anything he wants to change through any of us, and he could change the world through me if he chose to do it. If you got the attitude that I hear from some people, oh, well, it's just the way the world is, Pastor. You know, I know it's bad, but it's just the No, it's not just the way the world is. If we don't care about it, if we're not concerned about it, if we're not burdened about it, we'll never do anything about it ourselves. And it starts with us. It starts in us. If we are not burdened enough to make the Bible central in our own lives, we've got no reason to gripe. We've got no reason to complain. Let's make sure we start where we should start, and then God will give us the ability to influence the people around us, and we can make a difference. We need to be burdened. Secondly, secondly, we need to be students. Peter insists that we become personal students of Scripture. In 1 Peter 2, 2 and 3, he says this, As newborn babies desire the pure milk of the word, that you may grow thereby, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. Peter wanted us and those who would read his epistle to know Scripture. It didn't originate with human beings. Peter told us that. It came to us in a far different way. Holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Peter told us how to study the Bible. We're to search it the way the prophets of old studied the Scripture. 1 Peter 1.10 says, intently and with the greatest care. That's the kind of study we need if we're going to make a difference. Begin today. Learn to be a student of the Bible. You know... There is no excuse for us in this time of this generation not to be a student of the Scripture because you can take out your phone and you can find Bible study apps that will go way beyond anything we have ever known uh, up until this time. If you are serious about studying the Bible, don't say, I don't know how to begin. There's no reason for us to be biblically ignorant and not to do the thing God calls us to do. Every one of us can take advantage of this incredible electronic age 
and engage in the Word of God. Begin today. Don't wait for any other time to pass. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Those are the words of Jesus. So be burdened, be students, and be shepherds. Peter had a special word of instruction for pastors and Bible teachers, so I'm preaching to myself here for a moment. He said, 1 Peter 5, 2, Shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly. In using the term shepherd, he was undoubtedly thinking of his own experience years before when Jesus walked with him along the shoreline of Galilee. The Lord asked him three times, Do you love me? Yes, yes, and yes, replied Peter. Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. If I could do anything to influence today's evangelical churches around the world, it would be a clarion call to return to solid biblical teaching in the pulpit. Substantial sermons from biblical texts. Unfortunately, what is happening so much to our younger guys who are standing in the pulpit every week is they pull something off of the Internet and preach that instead of digging into the Word of God and getting God's truth. You see, what happens when they do that is this. Obviously, the people in their church get something warmed over that they haven't spent much time in. The real problem is the pastor himself is robbed from the incredible joy of independent Bible study and learning what the Word of God says. And then his life is changed, and through his changed life, he's a much better communicator. You can't really be an effective preacher if all you do is grab some notes the night before you preach that somebody else wrote and get up and recite them and say amen. It will leave you malnourished, and it will starve the people that you preach to. There's no reason to do that. We can be preachers of the Word of God, and we can teach people the Scripture. If you're listening, watching, and you're a pastor, please hear me. If there's any reason to survive in the ministry for 40 years, here it is. I've never, ever tried to be a student of any other major thing. I am a student of the Word of God. I, I tell people, people ask me, why do you preach the Word of God like that? And I say, well, that's all I know how to do. I know how to do that. I, I, I preach the Word of God. I study the Word of God. I broadcast the Word of God. I televise the Word of God. I write messages about the Word of God. I write books on the Word of God. I provide comment and content for the Internet and the web on the Word of God. My whole life is centered in one thing. And every day I get up, that's basically what I think about. And I think about that mostly during the day. And then every Sunday, I have an exam in front of all these people. Did I do my homework? And am I prepared? I can't imagine what it would be like to stand in front of an audience of people who came to church to be nourished up in the good Word of God and not have done my homework. You can't do that and be a faithful servant of the Lord. Finally, to ease the spiritual famine of the world, we need to be evangelistic. Be burdened, be students, be shepherds, and finally be evangelistic. 1 Peter 1, 23-25 says, Born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible, through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. Now this is the word by which the gospel was preached to you. The best method I know of evangelism, it's the best I've ever read, is Peter's own strategy. 
He said, sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to anyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you. He said, you don't have to go buttonhole people, chase them down the block, even knock on their door. But if you're going to be a faithful Christian, be ready if somebody asks you a question. So for all of us, whether we're students or teachers, whether we're congregants or pastors, we must teach and preach the Word of God. The spiritual famine has started. The statistics that I've shown you prove that we're not doing better with the Bible. We're doing worse with the Bible. Make sure that you're in a church where the Word of God is taught and Christ is lifted up because that's what will make a difference in your life. We don't have to be discouraged. We don't have to be depressed. God gave us this wonderful gift to help us find our way. And if we will use this the way God intended us to use it, we won't get lost. We'll stay on the main road and we'll get to our destination, not just somehow, but with our hands lifted up high in victory. Amen? Amen. Thank you for joining me today on Turning Point. The more we study scripture, the more we understand that our loving God desires to have a personal relationship with each one of us. If you would like to begin that relationship and ensure that you will spend eternity with Christ, you must simply repent of your sin and ask Jesus Christ to become your Lord and Savior. If you've taken this step of faith today, I encourage you to share your decision with other Christians at a trustworthy ministry or a local church and to continue growing in your faith. May God bless you, and I look forward to seeing you next time right here on Turning Point.